Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Trading Table Podcast. We have a special uh, pre-draft episode for you tonight. Uh, I'm joined here, as always, by Dynasty Jacobian. How you doing, Jacob? Doing great, man. I'm excited for one of the holiest days of the year, draft day tomorrow. Just geared up by watching the... Uh, uh, who, who's that actor in that draft movie where he's the Cleveland Browns? Kevin Costner. Kevin yeah, Cosner. Kevin Costner. He's playing the GM with the Browns, and he just completely wrecks their entire strategy and, and somehow miraculously comes through for a, for a big win. But yeah, excited for tomorrow, and I'm even more excited that we have uh, with us tonight um, Tyler, who's uh, at Tyler underscore FF, who's uh, one of our good buddies uh, in the Dynasty football community. Um, so I'd like to welcome him into the pod. Yeah, you guys, thanks for having me on. I've uh, been looking forward to this. We have a ton of conversations. I'm glad we can get it out here on the air. Um, honestly, I've actually never seen that draft day movie either. <laughs> I know, like it gets so oh, much rip. Yeah. Oh man, it, it's amazing. Like they they go through and there's like this can't miss quarterback prospect, and uh, apparently nobody went to his birthday party, so the GM freaks out and like pivots out of the pick that he traded three firsts for to draft a, a linebacker, and um, it's just a funny uh, a funny movie. Jeez, but yeah. that, that sounds like when you trade back in a draft thinking that you're going to get Josh Jacobs, then someone else takes Josh Jacobs and you have to spend three times as much trading back up to get him. Hey, man, there's skill in knowing your league mates, so, you know, you can't, can't fault yeah. the competition. Anyway, Tyler, why don't you tell us what, what you've been working on in uh, anticipation of rookie fever draft season? Yeah, man, I've been working on um, all those – draft threads or uh, film breakdowns on my Twitter page at Tyler underscore FF underscore. Um, be sure to check those out. They come out every Wednesday, um, sometimes Fridays. And this week I'm actually posting three of them, Monday, Wednesday, and then one right before the draft on Friday. Plus working with uh, King Fantasy Sports, um, working on their draft kit, doing um, a lot of the same breakdowns, but then also I'll be going back through and doing all the um, landing spots, analyzing those, and how that impacts everyone's fantasy teams and rookie drafts. Yeah, I got I got to give a shout out to all of uh, all of Tyler's stuff. It's it's really high quality, and I, I think it's underrated how difficult and how time consuming it is to put out those threads. Um, you know, you not only are you watching, you know, six, eight, ten games, whatever it is, every play, you're also got to cut up all the video, and it's uh, it takes a lot of time and. Uh, it's really good work, and if you're just trying to spend, you know, five minutes watching a thread of, you know, five or six clips um, of a player learn some strengths and weaknesses, it's probably the best way to prep for uh, for a rookie draft. You could pretty much watch the top fifty prospects in like an hour. Yeah, I, I'm trying to make it as consumable as possible. Um, it's something I enjoy. You know, I, I started posting my thoughts pretty much out there last year, and you know, it kind of caught on, and I just enjoy doing it. So I was watching the film anyways. I might as well put it out there and tell people what I think about it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So, um, you know, now we uh, well, while we're talking about some prospects, I know that uh, you spent a lot of time watching everyone, making sure you have a very uh, wide uh, depth of knowledge. But first of all, I, I want to get your sense of what you think of this class as a whole. Um, and, uh, like, I, I know a lot of people are kind of hating on it relative to the 20 and 21 classes, which were strong, and the 23 and even 24 classes look strong. Is this the weakest of, you know, a five-year period, or have you found digging into the tape there's some uh, actually good players here? 
Yeah, I mean, a little bit of both. You know, I don't think it's the worst draft out there. There's definitely some talent um, kind of at the top end. I think it's pretty top heavy. Um, pretty much right now, I see a pretty big teardrop after seven. Um, really just six in terms of prospects. But if we're talking super flex, you know, throwing Malik Willis in there, seven. Um, but after that, yeah, there's depth. But, you know, one, they're either... Uh, home run swings and they're pretty easily going to burn out or maybe they work out for you but um, the rest of them are really just guys you know maybe end of bench guys maybe uh, someone that can fill spot start for you on your fantasy team but yeah it's um, it's definitely not much compared to you know looking back a couple years ago and then even looking forward to 23 and 24. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, that's kind of the way that I look at it. I think that there's that top tier, and and we're going to get into a little bit later in this podcast about kind of our favorite sections of the draft and how you might be able to manipulate tiers to really uh, to your advantage, and especially in a draft like this where I think it's uh, a little bit more top heavy. I definitely think this is one of the. I think that this is one of the weird drafts where since there's such a flattening of the. Uh, overall talent pool kind of after seven. Um, there's going to be a lot of tier shifting once we see landing spots. And a lot of times people will say, you know, talent over situation landing spots don't really matter. But I think in this draft, landing spots are going to matter a, a big deal. Yeah, I definitely yeah, I agree. agree with that, especially at the running back position. To me, um, there's very few running backs that I think are good enough to just automatically have a role um, in this draft. I mean, even we look at last year's draft and, you know, Javante obviously just got blocked again. ETN, you know, he wasn't going to have the full role with J-Rob there. Like, not a lot of running backs get full roles nowadays, and I think this draft in particular, after the first few, I don't think any of them are guaranteed even, you know, a 100 touches on the season. Like, I, I really think that it's going to be 100% landing spot dependent once you get past the first few running backs. Yeah, so what, one of the things that I wanted to talk about um, was, uh, you know, you, you seem to be focused uh, mostly on the film side of things, um, was kind of what, what your scouting process was like. So as far as, you know, how much film are you watching? What type of film are you watching? Are you a college football fan? Do you like to uh, consume other people's content and supplement it with your own film? Just kind of walk me through the way that you think about that. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty big process. I am a college football fan, so I, you know, I'm a big Alabama fan. Uh, oh, so, from so there, you've seen so all these watch. guys for like five years anyway. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But saying that, I'm I'm really critical on Alabama players as well. Um, so I will say that I'm not a big homer in, in some regards. You know, sometimes it bleeds in there a little bit. But I try to be as unbiased as possible. Of course, I still root for my guys. But um, outside of that, so, you know, I've seen a lot of these guys, especially the top tier talent. I like watching college football. So the Ohio State's, Georgia's, those are always fun games and a couple C2C leagues. So I try to watch some of the lower end guys too, just kind of get a, a good feel of guys before we get to the um, real scouting process. But then, you know, I kind of have a good idea of who a lot of these guys are and, and where they kind of fall in a ranking system there. But then, you know, I'll start doing my deep dives and that's when I'm watching, you know, anywhere from six to 10 and sometimes even more tape, you know, just throughout the season or the off season. So, um, you know, I, I try to be a little random with it. Um, I, I will pick out a game where I think they're doing really good. I'll make sure to watch some games where they're, you know, not doing so good just to see why and, and what those factors are. Um, but really, you know, I, I try to be pretty random about it and just kind of grab what's available too. Um, so, 
if it's easier available to me, I will also, you know, gravitate towards that as well. Um, But I I definitely um, go through and and watch as much as I can, especially like as the the season or off season progresses, you know, I'll I'll keep updating just because I post one of those film breakdowns doesn't mean I stop watching film. You know, my, my views will still continue to change throughout the off season and, um, you know, looking at other people's work too, if maybe they see something I didn't see, um, I genuinely try to avoid, um, seeing other people's draft or, uh, film breakdowns at least until yeah. I've done it first. And, um, then I'll go through and look at other people's, you know, see what they saw. Maybe if I go back and, and see if I see the same things, but I always try to come at it with a fresh mind, um, just so I'm not like super influenced by anyone else. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that, that's like, that's kind of the most important thing that I've started to do over the last few years is I'm, I'm very different in that I don't watch any college football other than Michigan. Um, it just I, I, you know, I'm a real big basketball, real big soccer fan, like I just got too much other shit going on. So if it's not a Michigan game, I'm probably not watching it. So a lot of these players, I mean, obviously, I, I see them on Twitter and whatnot, but I don't really have a good sense of their game at all. And I try to consume as little content as I uh, as I really have to until I actually start scouting them. And I think that you know it, it does provide you with a really fresh mindset. And not that you know a lot of people just I think go against consensus just for the sake of it. Not that you should do that, but I really think you know going into it not knowing you know their PFF grade, not knowing like a consensus ranking or what they might be good at or bad at. I think that it really uh, allows you develop to develop your own opinion a lot more. Yeah, I agree with that. And, you know, that's why we're in that group chat earlier. I told you to go look at that George Pickens film, but I didn't want to tell you what to look for. You know, I wanted you to get your own opinions and really just see if you saw the same things I was seeing as well, just without any, any bias towards it. I didn't want to be like, Oh, this is crap or, you know, this is what you should look for. I wanted to see if you saw the same things, just to, one, you know, it, it reaffirms what I saw, and then, and then two, you know, if you did see something different, maybe I go back and take a look at it. Yeah, yeah, hundred um, percent. So now, now that you bring up uh, George Pickens, why don't we, uh, why don't we get into the next segment that I wanted to discuss? Uh, I wanted to talk about who are uh, your guys in this draft. So I don't know if Pickens is going to be one of them, but just tell me, and, and maybe Jacob, we can bring you in here. Uh, yeah, Jacob had a few technical difficulties, but he's uh, he's back now. Um, so maybe you could bring it in and tell me who are who are your guys in this draft that you, no matter what their landing spot is, you think that they're going to outperform ADP, and you want to walk away from every draft with these guys because Jacob, for for anyone who's been in a league with you, they know that you do not own any picks until the day of the draft, basically ever. So, you know, you're going to get rid of those picks and then you're going to fall in love with some prospects and trade for whatever pick it takes to secure those. And, you know, you ended up with, I don't know, 50% Jalen Waddle ownership last year. So it, it can happen. It can work. So well, why don't you tell me? Yeah. So who are you targeting in this draft? Yeah. So um, some of my guys kind of by position right now, quarterback is Matt Corral. Um, I really like Matt Corral. I think he's got all the tools he he looks like an NFL quarterback. I know he gets knocked for the, the system he was in at Ole Miss, but I really like his tools. I think he has um, everything it can take to be a successful quarterback. And, then, you know, I think it helps with this draft that everyone sees, hey, this is a weak class. That means he's going to fall down maybe a little bit further and hopefully to a better team and better situation, like a more stable organization as well. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about Corral for a second because that's a yeah. guy that Jake and I were, were uh, talking about before we started recording. J- Jake, I know you had a few thoughts on him. What do you think? 
Yeah, no, like exactly what I said to Mike before this podcast was kind of what you said. He really does have all the tools. He throws a pretty ball. He has nice touch. It's got plenty of zip on it. And, you know, he's surprisingly mobile. Nobody really, like, gives him credit for, for running around. But he's got good speed. He looks like he knows what he's doing when he's running the ball. Um, you touched on it. The old Miss system is really a simplistic one-read offense. And when I was watching his tape again last night, I had a lot of trouble figuring out my own feelings about him because with a quarterback like Corral, you want to make sure that he can process at the next level. And it's it's kind of hard to tell if he can or can't um, just based on, you know, the, the, the scheme that he's playing in. So I wanted to see if you have any thoughts that makes you a little bit more comfortable on Corral's ability to read a defense and, uh, you know, put the ball in the right place. From my perspective, what I was looking at that kind of gave me a little bit of reassurance was when he's throwing it to to his receivers, it's in that like that perfect spot where they're able to do something after the catch. And I think that kind of requires a quarterback or requires from a quarterback to know where the defenders are so that they can lead the receiver to the right spot. But usually it's yeah. the first three that he was thrown to. So like, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of what you said, um, but ball placement, I think, is big. You know, that means you're, you know, where the defense is going to be. You know, where your wide receiver is supposed to be as well. You know, being able to put it right on the money in stride is is knowing the defense and knowing your offense. So, um, I, I think that's that's big. And he's also got the arm talent to do it. Um, the one read, I, I think that's true, but I do think his, you know, I, he gets knocked a lot for bad decision making. I think that's a little bit overblown. He he was bad last year, I'll say that. Um, so twenty twenty, uh, but I think this past year he really improved on that. Um, I don't think he gets the credit he deserves for improving on that. So um, that I think that's that sign of progression is it bodes well for the future when he gets to the NFL. I mean, hopefully he's taking well to coaching. Um, you know, I, it. It's definitely some projection there. I won't say that I'm like 100% sure that he's going to be a, a perfect, um, you know, reading the defense at the next level. But I think he, he made strides this past year. And I think he continued to do so. Are there any types of offenses that you would love to see him in or that might elevate his style of play? Um, yeah, so I, I'm thinking of some landing spots. You know, I, I think my favorite landing spot for really any of these quarterbacks doesn't really matter who it is, but um, Pittsburgh is one of my favorite go-to spots for a quarterback. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's like the organizational thing. You know, I I think they have a pretty stable organization, but maybe that's because they've had Ben Roethlisberger for so long. They haven't had to make a key decision at the biggest position on the field for so long, but you know, we've also seen some of these other um, organizations fumble when they, when they get, the big situation and whatnot. So this is kind of an unknown, you know, mystery box over here. So it's like maybe maybe they're good, maybe they're not. But from what we've seen from the rest of the team, I think they can really build upon that. And then they also have weapons. They don't have a great offensive line, but, you know, I don't think Ole Miss had a great offensive line either. So, um, you know, I, I think he definitely has potential to go there and, you know, be at least better than Ben Roethlisberger last year. <laughs> yeah, I, I think if you put him, I, I first saw Corral, you know, last year when I was scouting Elijah Moore, and I actually really liked what I saw uh, just last year looking at, at uh, Elijah's film. Um, and, and looking at him again this year, like, he, he's got obviously a lot of talent, a lot of arm strength. I, I think the mobility is the most underrated thing to his game. And I would love to see him in a system like Seattle, like, if, if he could go to somewhere like Seattle where he has Tyler Lockett as that, you know, Elijah Moore type who's, you know, 
a lot of based on ball placement and getting them in yak opportunities. And a guy like DK Metcalf, who, uh, you know, they didn't overlap uh, for very long at Ole Miss, but, you know, was in that same system and is a guy who can just be your first read. You got single coverage to DK, throw the out, throw the back shoulder, right? And I think that Corral can be successful there as well. Um, and a place where, you know, there's going to be a big uh, emphasis on the running game. So, uh, and Pittsburgh, I think, would be the same way. So I, I think if Corral goes in the late first round, and we're going to get to this a little bit later, but based on how I like the rest of this class, or rather how little I like the rest of this class, any of these quarterbacks in the late first round, but especially a guy like Corral with upside, I'm taking in, you know, the late first of rookie drafts easily. I would yeah. love to see Corral with a good running game. Yeah. I, I, I really would love to see him in a play-action-centered uh, play offense. And the one landing spot that really screams Corral to me is the Washington Commanders yeah. um, for, for a couple of reasons. One, that's going to push him down the draft board because he's not going to play right out of the gate with Carson Wentz there. And I love getting that discount on Matt Corral, especially in a perfect fit like that where you got a, a field stretcher in Terry McLaurin and – possibly Curtis Samuel coming back. And we know that the uh, Washington Commanders offensive line struggled last year, but it's believed to be a pretty good bunch for a quarterback. So I would love to see him there. Would love to get that discount. I like the idea of Seattle and Pittsburgh. Um, But yeah, Corral's a guy I'm excited about for sure. Yeah, I think it's kind of funny that we're all saying a play action, you know, scheme where in college, he played pretty much the exact opposite. But I think that's good for him. I, I think if he can lean on a run game and lean on the play action to, to start out, that's going to be you know great for his development. And then you know they can slowly let him unleash his gunslinger in him a little bit more throughout the season, throughout his career as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so, uh, Jacob, wh- wh- why don't you give us one of your uh, your favorite guys in this draft? How far down do you want me to go? Because my favorite guy in this draft is probably going to be a fourth-round pick in rookie draft. Okay, tell us. Who are you thinking? <laughs> I know who it is. <laughs> oh, man. Tyler Beatty, man. Right. That, or Batty, however you say his last name. I love him. He's slick. He can do everything. He's got a great stature for his size. He's got power in his legs. He can catch the ball, block. He can do it all. So he's a sleeper. And if he gets – Round four, round five draft capital, I'll still be in on him. We'll see if he even goes in the fourth or fifth. He might be a sixth or seventh, and then I really have to temper my expectations. But uh, he's a guy I like. But I think the the one guy I'm actually in on that people will care about is Jahan Dotson. And um, to me, this is, this is A-Rob Jr. Uh, coming into this draft, and I want him on the Chicago Bears, filling that role, pairing with Darnell Mooney. I don't care what anybody has to say. John Dodson has potential. He's a clean route runner with great hands, great extension. I think he's extremely underrated. The way he positions his body, it's just like screaming, I'm a solid receiver, feed me the ball. So I think he could be a target hog at the next level. We'll see what he does. Well, first of all, I got super thrown by that A-Rob comparison, judging that he could he could literally be A-Rob's junior. Um, but anyway... Um, <laughs> Dotson's a guy that, and I, I we've talked to Tyler about this in the past offline, but uh, this is a guy that I'm going to be the low man on out of this crew. Um, to me, I honestly don't have interest in short receivers who can't uh, create yards after catch in any special way. Um, maybe that's going to mean that I'm going to miss out on a guy like Dotson and like 
there's just not a lot of receivers in the NFL that can do that. And even the ones who can are elite at everything else, meaning elite route runners, elite in terms of their burst coming out of breaks. And I think Dotson's very good at that. I think Dotson might have the best hands in the cat in the class. I, I have him third in terms of my hands rankings, but you know, it's all pretty close up there. Um, but he's a guy who I didn't see break any tackles. And to me, if you're going to be diminutive, if you're going to be a slot guy, I need you to be able to break a tackle after catching a six-yard pass and turn it into a 30-yard reception. And I just don't see Dotson doing it. Um, so if you combine that with the fact he's not an early declare, um, it took him until basically this year to succeed. I, I, I'm just out on a guy that I had pretty low from a film perspective and is pretty low from a quantitative perspective. Um, I, I've, I've scouted 12 wide receivers right now, and he's 10th among them. Um, and I, I'll probably end up with zero shares in this class. Are you really bringing up that garbage on this podcast with the <laughs> Like, come on, man. You're smarter than that. Uh, well, I appreciate that. I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Um, but uh, the thing is, is it, do it does matter. And I understand that there are some, like, a lot, there are parts of it that are correlation, not causation, but that's still important. Um, I don't know that we have five hours to get into a statistical, the merits of statistics with you, but there's a reason that Jahan Dotson didn't come out last year, right? This isn't like Chris Olave, where he could have been a first rounder last year and came back. Jahan Dotson, as a 21.5-year-old junior, only had 800 yards, right? I know it was a shortened season, but he just wasn't that impressive, and he didn't do basically anything as a sophomore, you know, having 400 yards in a full season. So it does matter that a guy like Jahan Dotson is going to perform better when he's older and playing people younger than him. Like, that just makes logical sense. It's easier to do better when you're older than your competition. If I'm a do you freshman know? playing in a middle school league, I'm probably going to dominate. Do you know who Sean Clifford is? Uh, no. He quite possibly might be the oh. worst quarterback. Oh, is he number 14, that white dude? Yeah, he sucks. Yep. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so <laughs> you really want to compare Olave and Dotson's stats when one has Justin Fields and no, CJ Stroud. That's, that's fair, and I noticed that watching Dotson film, but – Again, that doesn't that doesn't excuse the fact that he can't get off the line of scrimmage. He definitely can't play X. He probably can't play Z. And I don't want a slot receiver that can't create after the catch. That's I absolutely think he can play X. Interesting. All right. I think he could play X. I think he could play X, but I think he needs to put on weight. He is definitely undersized. I don't like that, but his tape is phenomenal. I feel like what he has the best hands in the class. He he eats space and zone. I, I love it. He just he just looks like he's open on every single play, and generally he is. Um, the only thing, only biggest knock is him downfield wasn't great. Um, he was really just winning on contested balls. That's also another thing. Maybe it's Sean Clifford. Maybe it's him. But his size that that didn't alleviate his size concerns. I'll put it that way. You know, um, when when I see. Um, analytical concerns. I try to explain it away in the tape. You know, if I come away like uh, when I was watching Devontae Smith last year, you know, oh, he's small, you won't be able to get off the line. The dude was never touched on the line. Yeah. So <laughs> I was like, I don't, I'm not concerned about it in the least. Um, Dotson, I do still have those concerns, but I still really like this tape. He's sitting in my tier two right now. And, and, and I think that's a good point as well because I, I think that the ability to win deep is something that short short players can win deep, especially if they're really fast. 
the thing is, like, to me, Dotson doesn't have that speed, and he doesn't have the physicality downfield to win down the field. So, you know, he, he'll he'll have an okay release off the line and get behind a cornerback, but he doesn't stack them down the field. He doesn't turn a one step of separation into three steps of separation. And part of that speed, part of that's just leverage. And that's something that you can get better at. And given the fact that he is a very smooth athlete, really good hips, like, he can get better at that. But I guess I just don't see the upside for a guy like him. Um, that being said, he's currently mocked to be, you know, a late round one guy, which means Green Bay, KC, Tampa Bay, uh, the Cardinals. You know, these are spots where if he lands there, he's going to shoot up your rookie drafts. He's going to maybe be a top, you know, in that 107 to 111 range. I, I personally think he's a little bit insulated from landing spot for a few reasons. I think his game can play anywhere, and I don't think that he would really get a boost from getting into one of these super desired landing spots. I think when people think of Dotson, they think of the worst version of Chris Olave. So even if Dotson lands in a great landing spot, they're still going to want Olave over him. Um, so I don't know how much room he has to get up from that early second range, late first range, farther up than that, I think that's kind of where he'll be in your rookie draft, no matter where he lands. Um, but potentially could land in a great spot and get tremendous value there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fair enough. Um, all right, Tyler, you want to give us uh, the next guy on your list? Yeah, so this is another guy that um, I'm not really sure if he's a, he's a my guy or not, but Traylon Burks. Um, I, I think he is clearly in the top three. I have him as my number one wide receiver. Um, I'm still all in on him. I recently checked Sleeper's ADP. He's still the first wide receiver off the board, which I was surprised about, mainly just because of how much you see on Twitter and stuff. Like People are just always dogging on him. But I, I think Consensus still has him at one, and I think rightfully so. Yeah, I, I, I think Consensus probably won't have him at one after the draft. I mean, it might actually, because if you look at the projected landing spots of the top few guys, it looks like uh, Wilson and London could very well end up in uh, Philly and New York Jets in some order. Um, and those are not going to be considered desirable landing spots while you look at a guy like Burks potentially ending up in you know, Green Bay or Tennessee or something like that, um, just because he's later in the draft. Uh, but wh why don't you tell us a little bit about what what you like about Burks and maybe what some of the concerns are and why you think they won't be an issue. Yeah, so I really like Burks a lot. He, I think, just possesses traits you can't teach, right? He's got the size, he's got the speed, which, you know, that wasn't evident on his 40-yard um, dash, but I think he's kind of a guy that takes a little bit to get up to that full speed, but once he gets that full speed, he's probably outrunning about everyone on the field. Um, so I think the 40-yard dash wasn't really his best, um, you know, test metric for his speed it's also a bigger guy that's generally harder to get out of the blocks and stuff like that so i'm not too worried about his 40 i know a lot of people were he didn't athletically test as well as everyone thought he was going to be this physical freak but you watch the tape you turn on the tape the man's a physical freak <laughs> like you can't get yeah. past it you watch one game and you're like this guy is insane um you know i don't really care what the testing numbers tell you that much i think you you turn it on and he did it for four or three years and you know you can't really argue with that contested catchability i think is insane he high points the ball perfectly um you know he he runs good enough routes i think that's definitely somewhere he can improve and somewhere he's been knocked because he's 
label this gadgety guy. Um, I think that gadget part is just kind of a product of the offense. They found a good way to use him, and yeah. he was really their best weapon, and that's where they used him. Um, you know, I think in the NFL, he can play the outside just fine. I feel like if he played the outside and was still manufactured those same touches, we wouldn't be sitting here talking about a gadget player. It's only because he played in the slot, and I think he can do a lot of those same things on the outside. Yeah. Yeah. Arkin, I'm probably the low man on Burks in this chat, but I still like him. Uh, just purely on the upside, he's definitely going to be the re- top receiver in this class that's most landing spot dependent for me in terms of how I view him. Um, just because like, I see the potential, and a lot of it stems from, can he be an AJB? Uh, can he be a Debo-type player where you're really getting like that physical yak yardage that... Uh, you know he's got, and, and he has the speed that can can really make that play up. Um, but for me, there's so much of his skill set that's underwhelming that needs to be cleaned up. Like his his route running is very sloppy at this point in his uh, in its development. And so, like if you're gonna put him on the outside and he's running sloppy routes, he's not gonna get fed the ball. And then and then what happens? So like, what team is he gonna land on that will number one need to use him right out of the gate? And two, how how is how are they going to use him? Like, I actually personally like the Jets for Burks. Um, if Debo doesn't end up on the Jets, uh, I like San Francisco um, if Debo gets traded from San Francisco. So, like, you can see kind of where I'm going with uh, with where I want him to be. It's it's where a team already has a field stretcher and they're not going to be using Burks in the deep game. They're really going to be using him underneath mid range and there's also opportunities there for him. Um, I don't really care who the quarterback is thrown to him. He already was dealing with probably one of the worst college football quarterbacks there are at Arkansas. So like he's still a beast in that situation. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely land on the high side of Burks. Like I, I know AJ Brown is kind of the easy comparison, but I also just think it's the right one, right? Like AJ Brown, the knocks on him coming out of school. It's the profile, right? Yeah. It's, it's very similar, right? Like physical freaks, but not running, you know, four threes, you know, mostly working out of the slot, a lot of yak production. And people said the same thing about AJ Brown. They were saying, okay, he's out running college linebackers. He's breaking tackles of college DBs. First of all, these guys play in the SEC. Like these are pro like defensive players. Like, and you watch him against Alabama and he was incredible. He was out running players who are going to be in the first round of this draft. And more importantly, I look at a guy like Burks and First of all, I love that he can win against zone. I think he's far better against zone than man right now in terms of actually winning a route. Um, Against man, he is relying mostly on athleticism. I think he's physicality, though. Other than Drake London, I think he's the most physical wide receiver and maybe Alec Pierce, but that's kind of a different type of guy. But he's maybe the most, like, physical guy in this class in terms of if he gets you on his back pocket, it's almost like a guy coming out of the pick and roll. Like, Tyler, you're a Hawks fan. When Trey Young gets a guy in jail, right, when a guy's trailing him in the pick and roll, he gets him on the back pocket. And it doesn't even matter that he's not separated from him in other ways. It's just about using that leverage. I think that's what Traylon Burks can do. And when he catches the ball, I mean, he's just, he's unbelievable after the catch. He's second in the class in yak out of rele- yak per catch out of relevant players. And number one is Jamison Williams, who's obviously getting yak in a very different way. But Is that yak per touch or yak overall? Yeah, yak per reception. Um and so I look at a guy like, and, and to tell you what that is, his yak per reception is 7.6. 
Uh, Jamison Williams is up at 9.1. The next highest of the relevant receivers is at like six, six and a half, which is what Sky Moore is at. Um, so I, I just see a guy like Traylon Burks, and I think that he's going to play the slot. I think it's actually good for him that he's going to play the slot, at least early in his career, because he'll get to grow into his game a little bit. But I see a guy that you can manufacture touches for, but you can also just use him as a security valve. Like, he's going to get open on drags. You can throw it up to him on slot fates. He was unbelievable. That's kind of where he really used that leverage. And I just think he's going to be a very good player. I think he's actually landing spot agnostic. Obviously, every player is better in a good offensive system, but this guy's a freak. I think he's going to get the ball. Yeah, I, I agree with the landing spot agnostic there. Um, I, I don't think landing spot really matters for him. Um, I think he can play anywhere. He's obviously the best in the slot, but um, you know he also has that skill set that he can fall back onto in the slot. We know he can be at least a good wide receiver there. Um, if he continues to develop as a route runner, I think sky's the limit. And that's kind of the thing with him, too, is that um, any of his knocks are very, very coachable as well. That route running can definitely be coached. How how good is the wide receiver coach at Arkansas? I don't know. Probably not that great, though. <laughs> you know, so I, I think he's going to be a, um, you know, someone that just has so much potential at the next level. Um, and then, you know, like I said, everything that he's not that great at is – coachable and he has kind of the the fundamentals there he uses leverage well already um he understands how to manipulate the dbs um his, his routes aren't super crisp but i think he can get there yeah uh well i think that speaking about wide receiver coaches we could probably turn over to one we know has uh, a coach we don't need to worry about and that's the man at, from alabama who uh who's the school that's been churning out round one wide receivers one after another and um so jameson williams a guy i know i'm super high on i know mike uh kind of hates him um tyler what are your thoughts on jameson who was just clocked at a uh, 23 miles per hour running the ball which has only been met recently by raheem Mostert and uh tyree hill yeah i think um Honestly, I'm kind of like in the middle on Jameson Williams. Um, I, I have him in my tier one. He is the last man in the tier one. And I, I've been kind of fighting with having him in his own tier because I do think he is um, beneath these top three guys. So my top three guys, just for reference, are Burks, Wilson, and London. I think he's under them. But then also I think he's kind of the last person in this draft class that has wide receiver one potential. Um, to, to be the guy in an NFL offense, I think he has that potential. And I mean, he's got the game-breaking speed. You can't argue with that, you know. And he does more with his speed than a, a traditional speedster, John Ross, that you think of, or um, you know, even Henry Ruggs and stuff like that. Um, he he's better than them. He controls that speed well. He is a decent route runner. Um, he's not just pure straight-line speed. He can he can throttle down and throttle up very easily and very seamlessly. And that just kills DBs. And, you know, regardless of who you're going up against in the college level, I don't see anyone really keeping up with him at the NFL level either. Um, and honestly, he's he's fairly physical for his size. You know, he can definitely get some, um, you know, contested catches. It's, it's not great. He did have some drops and stuff like that. But he at least showed the ability that he is willing to fight for the ball. And, and I like that start. I like that foundation that he has there. Yeah, for, for me, Jamison Williams is a guy that um, uh, I just really struggle with because 
I, I totally see the upside. So I don't want to leave rookie draft season with my, you know, 85 leagues and 150 first-round picks with having, you know, two shares of him. Like, that's going to feel like shit because I know he's going to have, you know, five catches for 120 yards in week four and it's going to feel like an idiot. But the thing about Jamison Williams is I just don't – I don't know that I actually see wide receiver one potential for him in terms of from a fantasy perspective. I think that he could be a guy who puts up, you know, 65, 70 catches for 1,100 yards and seven touchdowns, but he's going to be a guy that I don't know when I can feel comfortable using him. I think he might get double covered a lot in the NFL. Like I see why NFL is higher on him than the dynasty community is and than I am. Um, because a guy with that speed in the NFL, you don't need him to get a lot of targets. You don't need him to get a lot of yards. If you have to put two guys on him, he's doing his job. And he's way more than just, you know, a track runner running go routes up and down the field. I see a lot of his value. I I do think he's good hands. I think I I personally didn't see his physicality. I think he's going to really struggle versus the press. I think that one thing I really hate to see from wide receivers and running backs is uh, when they run out of bounds, when they could cut up field to gain an extra three yards and take a hit. Like, I know Jamison Williams is a slight guy, but I just hate to see that. And when I plug in all of his numbers, like, they're not good. He had one good year. Like, people say this about Kenneth Walker. Like, Jamison Williams had one good year. I understand that there's competition there, but, like, Cream will rise to the top, and Ohio State has shown that if there are three good receivers there, they can all perform as sophomores. Alabama has shown that too. Like, Jamison Williams did not do a lot at Ohio State that I would have liked to see and that you like to see from a prospect. So just based off of my film grade and the quantitative metrics I use, not including projective draft capital, I have him as my wide receiver seven in this class. Um, Once I factor in draft capital... And once I factor in, honestly, just like FOMO, I'm going to end up putting him a little bit higher, but he's nowhere near that first tier for me. There's no landing spot that would have put him in that first tier to me. I don't care if, you know, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs trade up to pick number one and take him first overall. Like, it doesn't matter. I just don't think he's near the same quality of player. But ultimately, you know, I have him behind Sky Moore and Alave right now. I'll probably move him above if he gets, you know, top 12 draft capital and he ends up in a decent, I mean, probably regardless of landing spot. But, you know, his numbers aren't good and I didn't like his tape. I just thought he was pretty much a burner who could occasionally cut outside, but it just wasn't wasn't impressive to me. You're killing me with the Sky Moore is better than JMO take. Uh because I have Jamison Williams with the highest potential of any player in this draft, by far. But I think his floor is super low. So he's not my first receiver. He's uh, my second receiver. He's what do not you think my... his potential is? Like, other than winning on deep routes, like, how do you think he wins in the NFL? I think, like, in all honesty, when I'm looking at a player like Jamison Williams with this incredible speed, I also want to see their ability to decelerate. Um, and cut out of their route. So, like, when I'm looking at Jameson Williams' tape, I'm not really concerned with, like, his refinement on his route running. What I'm looking for is, like, can he change his speed and can he change direction? And both of those things are, like, 100% yes. And in terms of, like, his numbers, I don't care about his Ohio State numbers. I forget that he even was at Ohio State. I don't think it's magically, like, Olave and Wilson are better than him. I mean, they, they certainly were at Ohio State. I don't know why he didn't play, but he actually, like, straight up just didn't play at Ohio State. Goes to Bama, has 1,700 yards. My concerns are alleviated. 
Um, but for me, a player that can cut in and out uh, the way he does with his speed has the potential to pretty much break you on any play. So if he does get refined, if he becomes like a true um, top-tier route runner, you're dealing with elite physical tools, a great frame, uh, a guy who can like go up and get it. Like To me, sign, sign me up on that. That's the type of player that really stands out, becomes your yearly wide receiver one. I don't really see that from the other guys in the class because like they all have red flags too. They they don't they're not star athletes other than Burks who his concerns are, are are bigger for me. Like if I straight up don't think that you can become a good route runner, like I'm very worried about Burks' ability to be coached up. Uh, then I'm then I'm worried. But if if you got blazing speed and you and you show me the the tools necessary to become a good route runner. I can believe that you can do that. I don't know. Jameson Williams, to me, I'm very excited about. I'm not going to take him earlier than 1.7 because what I'm expecting from him with his ACL, I think he's going to struggle out of the gate. I think people are going to try and sell him. I think there's going to be a massive dip come week four on Jameson Williams because they're going to be like, oh, Drake London just put up 100 yards on six catches getting passes from Herbert. Like, we have to make him the wide receiver one overall. And Jamison Williams is going to be like the forgotten Bateman who nobody cares about him. You can get him for a mid-second. Like, that's the way I see it going. Uh, so I'm going to go stock up on Garrett Wilson shares early. Uh, I'll even take Burks over uh, Jamison Williams because that's where I see the market going. And then I'll trade down and get Jamison Williams later in the season. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good point. And one thing I wanted to bring up with the ACL, like, I think it could very well be a slow start. And I think that um, – uh, guys who are that athletic don't always come back 100%. And for a guy like Jamison Williams, if he comes back at 98% of the athlete that he was, like him being that fast is what makes him useful at all, right? Like if he comes back and he's not the same guy. So for me, I Jacob, I think that's spot on advice. I want to see how he looks in the NFL. I want to see if he can, you know, survive with the physicality and if he still is, obviously we know he's that fast, but I want to see him on an NFL field and I will be happy to either overpay or pay market price after two weeks if I really think he's that good. But he's a guy I'm probably going to miss out on in rookie draft season. Um, all right, so I think the next thing that we wanted to talk about here uh, was some players that you will only like if they land in this type of landing spot or maybe you have a specific team in mind. Um, so I know, uh, Jacob, you had a guy in mind that you wanted to talk about that uh, you really uh, loved but only in a particular landing spot. Yeah, uh, Rashad White and Seattle. Um, I'm talking Chris Carson 2.0 a thumper who's got kind of good burst and can do it all, but isn't really known for his hands. Um, but most importantly, I don't think that this guy's going to break through in a backfield that actually has legitimate competition. Um, I don't see him as like this elite talent that people are going to force opportunities to. Um, but he's definitely a, a capable running back that in the right situation can do well and establish himself as like a very solid, consistent running back in the league. And Seattle's like an offense that kind of opens it up. They have a good zone gap run run scheme, and that really plays up for uh, Rashad White's skill set. So him in Seattle, uh, I love that. I don't really see too many other landing spots that would really get me jazzed about him, but yep, that's, that's a fit that I like. 
That's interesting. I, I, I haven't really thought of a place like that for Rashad White. I mean, I think it's going to be very important for him to get to a place where he can have a third down role. And for that reason, I think Seattle's a good spot for him. Um, you know, I, I think he had the highest receiving target share in this class. A lot of that was just the scheme. I think most of his receiving work was, you know, average, but, you know, good, fine. Um, so, yeah, I agree in that, you know, he's the oldest uh, running back in this class. He's uh, already over 23 years old. Um, so if he doesn't contribute right off the bat, he's basically dead to us in Dynasty. So he needs, he's definitely a landing spot to Penn, and I think that's a good shout-out. And when, you know, if you're the one being a backfield to Rashad Penny, who's been healthy for, what, like four straight weeks in his life, uh, it's not a bad spot to be in to get early work. Yeah, Rashad White has an interesting path to uh, production. Actually, it's it's been like kind of a long uh, road for him. Yeah, like his age to me is actually less frightening than it is for like someone like Brian Robinson who might already be in a nursing home. But um, he went to a JUCO and transferred into Arizona State, and when he transferred in, COVID hit. So he like barely played until. Uh, I guess like this past year, but immediately once he went to Arizona state, he was putting on highlight, like highlights one after another. So he's always performed uh, in a power five conference at a, at a pretty high level and he has low tread on him. So I think he's like an interesting guy who might have like deceptive age qualities to him where like, I'm less afraid of that number than I am for, for other guys. Yeah, um, I like Rashad White a lot, and I kind of agree with the age, too. His um, junior year, so his first year at Arizona State, um, he it was COVID year, right? And they only played a handful of games. I'm pretty sure he had 40 total touches and over 400 yards. And that's in, you know, yeah, he, receiving. He had a decent amount of work there, too. Yeah, he had he had 42 touches for 420 yards. Uh, I'll, I'll let you math yeah. do the do the yards. No, he had 50 touches for 571. Oh yeah, I, I I was just talking about uh, r- rushing, but yeah, he also had eight catches for 151 yards. I mean, he's his efficiency is unreal, right? Even even his senior year. Yeah, but then you know a full year of of 50 total touches. Um, yeah, I was I was trying to remember that, but yeah, 50 total touches. Um, that. That's barely even season. Do you really count that as like a year knock on him? But yeah, he's getting old, but you know what? He's probably going to go in the third, fourth round. He's going to be a one contract back anyways. Um, you know, by the time his contract's up, the NFL probably won't really want him that much. We definitely won't want him on our fantasy team. So um, I think if you go into it knowing he's a one, two year back, I think you're fine. That's how most of these backs are going to be in this draft anyways. So um, I'm pretty good with it. Yeah, that's, yeah, you just got to land in the right spot. That's kind of how I feel. I mean, pretty much all these running backs, uh, it's just all about the landing spot. To me, I actually have Rashad White at uh, running back three right now. Um, this is, again, pre-draft capital ranking, so I assume he's going to move down. He's in the same tier as a few other guys. Um, but Would you have him over Isaiah Spiller if Isaiah Spiller is a round two guy and Rashad White goes late round three? Uh, if I plug in pick 55 for Isaiah Spiller and pick 90 for Rashad White, Isaiah Spiller jumps him uh, pretty comfortably. I mean, they're in the same tier and, like, barely apart right now, uh, and that's before factoring in draft capital. So, yeah, I would. Um, obviously, landing spot matters too, though, right? Like, if Isaiah Spiller goes and, you know, 
goes to Indy or whatever, goes to even the Commanders or something where he's not going to have a huge role and we see Rashad White in, you know, Seattle or Miami, something like that, you know, I, I might I might uh, actually take him above it. I, I'm not a big Spiller guy. I know you are, Jacob. Um, but uh, t- Tyler, you want to give us a guy that you're, uh, you know, really interested in the landing spot and might like him depending? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I kind of already hit on the quarterbacks, but just to briefly mention those guys again, um, you know, Pittsburgh, for really any of them, will definitely bump them up a good bit. But, um, you know, hitting running back again, Samir White, um, I'll probably be high on him regardless, but um, seeing him in a place like Miami, a zone running scheme where they have a guy, Chase Edmonds, there already, I, I'm fine with that. I think maybe some people will see that as a as a negative on that if he ends up going somewhere that has an established back or um, maybe in air quotes established back like Chase Edmonds. Um, I think that's so much better for Zemir White. I think Zemir White's best situation is a Nick Chubb, Cream Hunt situation in Cleveland. So if um, Edmonds is kind of a knockoff Cream Hunt and you got Zemir White there to play the Nick Chubb role, I think that works out perfectly. Um, you're not relying on Zamir White to be a pass catcher. You know, hopefully he can. Maybe he can rip off some big screens, kind of like Nick Chubb does, but he's not solely a pass catcher, and his, his pass pro isn't horrible. So you're not in a um, you know deficit there if you do leave him in on third downs. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's a really good shout. I literally have in my notes for Zamir White, better be Miami or San Francisco, otherwise I'm out. Um so I, I think we're on the same page there. To, to give y'all a sense, Zamir White is in the 95th and 96th percentile for 40-yard dash and speed score, and he's in the 9th percentile for his elusiveness. So he's a guy uh, that's PFF. So he's a guy who's just going to run downhill, hit that one hole. I actually thought that the bend to his runs was pretty good. The angles that he takes are pretty yeah. good. But if he if there's a guy one on one with him at the second level, he's gonna get tackled, which is it's fine, right? Like yeah. you know who he is, um, and I, I completely agree with that shout. He's very landing spot dependent. I said just based on what you were saying, I was thinking the New York Jets would be a good fit with Michael Carter swinging yep. out to being at that third down back and uh, Samir White slotting as as the true thumper there. That that to me would be a pretty good combo, and I like what they're putting yeah. together on their offensive front. Yeah, although although with the with the Mekai Becton news, maybe less so. But yeah, I agree. I, what happened with him? Uh, apparently, they're already ready to move on from him. Apparently, he ballooned up to over four hundred pounds, and now they're like trying to dump him for like a uh, round three or round four pick. No way. Yeah, I just I, I just did not know that. that. I read That's that. Deal. I read that today. I mean, I thought Becton was like. I mean, he was terrible in pass protection when he played last year, but he was really good in run protection and obviously a great prospect. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, does he need a block if he's 400 pounds? Can he just like stand there in the way? Yeah, just do like the, the hockey goalie thing where you just cover the entire thing. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe. Um, uh, anyways, yeah, I think that uh, most of the running backs in this class, and that brings me to the guy that I really wanted to talk about in terms of landing spot being important. Um, I'm a big fan of Jerome Ford. Um, I think that he is quite a good player. Uh, he's kind of like good at everything, master of none. Um, but he can really cover ground. He was a lot faster than I thought he was going to be. I actually have him ranked as the second best burst in this class behind Kenneth Walker. Um, 
sometimes that's to his detriment, right? He'll see a little bit of a hole and he'll try to hit it, and sometimes he'll run into his offensive line's back or stumble over someone or a little bit of patience might have served him better. Um, and similar to Zamir White, he's not an elusive guy. Um, but he's a guy that I really think, you know, can have a role in terms of probably just first and second down, but he has some receiving chops. I think his lack of elusiveness and true like lateral agility probably prevents him from being anything like a true third, uh, three down back. Um, but I saw a good player, uh, in Jerome Ford. And I think that if he gets, you know, round three draft capital, I'm definitely in, and he could win in a backfield that's currently contested right now and really, uh, lock down a role where he could, you know, get 200 carries in a season. I really like Jerome Ford as well. I, you know, he was actually a top 10 all purpose back when he was a high school prospect and he goes over to Alabama and plays behind Josh Jacobs, Damian Harris, Najee Harris brian robinson and it's like why didn't this guy get any touches in alabama and then you look at his t- very few touches that he had they were all fine he goes out transfers and, and tears it up and i i think you're spot on he's really a do-it-all back he can he can catch out of the backfield he's great vision he's he's got a lot of twitch to him so like yeah. i like his uh, potential of being elusive back moving forward that you know he actually has a shot of being a three down back um i think i think he's going to be hard pressed to get the opportunity to do that, but he definitely has potential there. So I'm excited about him. I would love to see him in a place like um, Arizona or, um, well, Houston's everyone's saying, but I'm thinking a place like Arizona where there's an incumbent running back that, first of all, I don't think is very good. And second of all, I think could get injured where, you know, he needs to have an opening. But I think that once he's given an opportunity, I think that uh, New York Giants is actually a good spot for him as well. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not saying you would take over for Saquon. I want Saquon to stay healthy, but the Giants have shown us that they're going to give their second running back, you know, 35% of the touches. The Giants offensive line is dog shit. Like, I don't want any running back Again, yeah, I, yeah. obviously you'd like him to go to a better offensive line, but like, I just like to see him in a place where I think he's going to get some level of opportunity as like the number two on a depth chart right out of the gates. Yeah, I love all this Jerome Ford love. Um, I really like him as well. Um, I thought he was, you know, has the potential to be a three down back, and I think there's not that many of those in this draft class. Um, he has, like you guys mentioned, he's got pretty good, um, hands, you know, he's a good hands catcher. He runs decent routes for a running back. I saw some wheel routes, mostly check downs in the flat, but, um, some nice check and releases and stuff like that. I, he's got the good size. He's got the power burst. I agree with everything you guys said there. Um, I think his elusiveness and, you know, maybe, um, inconsistencies and in, like power and pushing piles and stuff like that. He's a very upright runner. He's already over six foot tall. Um, I, I think that's one of the things that kind of limits him. Um, uh, we've seen that from plenty of running backs before, but it's just so easy to get down to his legs and just take him down so much easier just because he's got a lot of um, area for, you know, defenders to get to him. So um, that that's my one really knock on him, but really he's just kind of like jack of all trades. I think you guys mentioned that, you know, he's, he's not great in anything, but he's really solid just about everywhere else. And I think he could, he could be a third down back. He could be, um, you know, a, a one, two thumper. Um, and he's got good pass protection too. So I'm, I'm all in. Now, I know you said that you were high on, uh, Zamir White, but I, I'm curious to hear what you have to think about his, uh, backfield 
uh, partner in uh, James Cook, who's one of my favorite guys in this draft class. So, yeah, I'd love to hear what you have to say about that about him. Yeah, so my my tier two for running backs is is pretty huge. I got um, looks like six running backs in there right now, and it's just landing spots going to be key for pretty much all of those. They, they could all get easily shaken up from you know all the way from four down to nine is the, this tier. So you know right now I have James Cook at eight. He could be four by the end of the draft if he gets good draft capital and goes to a good place. But um, I really liked it, him. I am encouraged that he put on some weight before the, the combine and still tested fairly well. Um, or, sorry, maybe it was his pro day. I can't remember now. But he, he put on some weight, looked pretty good. Um, he just can't run behind between the tackles. I think he's just going to be a change of pace back, though. Um, at the next level, you know, uh, it's encouraging to see he's putting that on that weight, but I'm I'm still not sold. Um, I haven't seen it, him do it, but um, I liked his skill set. You know, uh, I mentioned to Mike earlier, you know, watching Alabama, he gashed us pretty much every time he played. <laughs> so, like, I mean, he I, killed I us in, watched, uh, He killed Michigan in the uh, playoffs. In the Orange Bowl. Yeah. Dude, I, I was watching the Orange Bowl tape this week, and I was at the Orange Bowl, obviously really fucking drunk, especially after the first quarter. And I was watching that, and I was like, oh, shit, I remember that play. And then I looked, I was like, oh, I was at this game. That's fucking wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, he gashed Alabama every time he played. I felt like he was getting, like, 20 carries a game and ended up with, like, 100 yards. But, no, he had, like, 10 carries and, you know, still over 100 yards. He's an explosive play waiting to happen, and I love that. But, man, I just want him to be able to run in between the tackles and, and really secure a, a heavier workload. But as of right now, maybe he gets a handful of carries, you know, in between tackles and on the outside, but I don't see him much more than like a 12-touch guy at the most. Yeah, I'm I, I'm going to be the low guy for sure on, on Cook. Um, I, I don't see it with him. Like, to me, similar to how I want a small receiver to be able to break tackles after the catch – I want a scat back to be able to make a guy miss. And he's good at uh, being decisive, and especially on those swing passes, knowing when to cut up and knowing when to take it outside. But I just don't see him as being very elusive. So to me, I look at it and say, okay, in an ideal role, could he be a poor man's James White? Sure. Like, could he be Tariq Cohen? I don't like. I don't think so. Not from that good Tariq Cohen year when he was duking everyone out of his shoes. Like, I don't think he's got that kick returner athleticism. And like you said, Tyler, I don't think he has any hope of being a running back on the first two downs. So from a value perspective, like I could see him becoming, you know, an 11th, 12th round startup pick like a Devin Singletary, but I don't see any upside of him being a top 24 back. Um, you, you know, maybe if he ends up in a situation where he's truly getting 80 targets, but I just don't think he's that good after the catch. So like, I would, I would just rather throw it to a wide receiver at that point. Um, so for me, I'm, I'm out on James Cook and probably won't have a single share. I, I don't think there's any possibility uh, of a ceiling for me. Yeah, so I'm, I'm like so torn up about James Cook because he quite possibly might be the most athletically gifted running back in this class, just on pure athleticism. Um, Brees Hall fans I, are going to have issue with what you just said. Whose fans? Brees Hall. I have no idea. I, Brees Hall doesn't speak to me. I don't speak Brees Hall language. Okay. Like I'm, I'm. It is what it is. Uh, but you do. You just you just look at James Cook and you see this explosiveness that just 
it's hard to find. In all honesty, like one of the most most underrated running backs in this league is Aaron Jones, and I see a lot of Aaron Jones's game in James Cook. Now, I agree with you guys that like I don't really see him being a guy that's going to get a lot of touches because he's he's undersized. Like he's a light back. He's 199 pounds at 5'10", so he's a pretty small, slight guy. So you can't trust him pounding it between the tackles. But if he bolts up and maintains his speed, like the potential is there. The guy has great vision. He's got probably the best hands of any running back in this class. And the explosiveness, as I said, it's just it's just special. Um, it's probably not going to work out where he's ever going to be fantasy relevant, though, because of his profile. I mean, like it's 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 sad, but like hopefully, I'm hoping he puts on some pounds. I'm hoping he gets in the right situation, but you know, I, I could totally see James Cook getting drafted to a, a place like Green Bay, being the third string running back on that team, having uh, AJ Dillon take over there, um, and then him being the third down back and also playing wide receiver. I could see him playing part time slot receiver. He is. Um, he so. he does have excellent like I think his hands are good. His route running is excellent. Like. I think he's yeah, better yeah, he's, running he's than some of the wide receivers in this class, if we're being honest. Like, I mean, he lined up, yeah, he lined up out wide at times and in the slot, like yeah. a significantly amount of times. So, like, that's definitely it's just it's just rare to find a team that's willing to put a running back out wide or like in the slot and actually use them properly. Yeah. I know the Saints will do it sometimes with Kamara. Uh, Green Bay is not afraid to do it, but. You know, I I personally think he he's the type of guy that in the right situation, if he's getting receiver work, maybe that's his pathway to fantasy relevance. And and I I think he's a very good player. Like I, there's there's rumors of the Pats looking at him in round four, um, to kind of be the James White heir apparent. Like as a Pats fan, I would like that. Like I think he's a good player. Um, I, I just don't think that he has that fantasy fantasy upside for me. Um. So let, let's move now to talk about, uh, briefly, we've touched on the top three receivers in this class. Um, pretty much everyone, you know, there's some Jameson Williams love, but for pretty much all of the offseason, it's been uh, Drake London and Traylon Burks and Garrett Wilson. Um, so I, I think what makes the most sense is, do you want to just, Tyler, you want to give us a breakdown of uh, kind of who you're higher on and who you're lower on and why? Yeah, so um, from the wide receivers, um, yeah, just looking at it. So overall, I think the lowest guy I'm on, I wonder how you guys feel about him that, you know, he's getting a lot of hype is Christian Watson. Um, I just, I don't see it with him. I think he's a great athlete that is struggling to play the wide receiver position. <laughs> you know, he, he dominated bottom-tiered competition, and he really didn't even do that all that great. You know, on tape, he still was not very physical going up and getting the ball for a guy of his size and his athleticism. Like, um, he was still letting these DBs catch up to him, you know, in routes, and his routes are also not that great, not very crisp. He's rounding routes. Granted, another small school, so I don't know how good that wide receiver coach is. You know, maybe he's got a lot to learn, but – He's also what, already 23, so he's already coming in pretty old. Um, I just don't see it with him. I, I, I guess there's some upside, but I, I still don't see it. I mean, he's to me, he's a physical freak and has absolutely nothing else. Like, I, I think he's probably a special teamer in the future. Um, I, I just, I don't see it at all either. Like, 
to me, it's like he's it's like it's like in high school when you play pickup basketball against uh, some of the football players at the school. It's like these guys are so damn like they'll dominate me because this guy's an incredible athlete and he's six four and I'm whatever five seven. But like they're not good at the sport, right? They're just out athleting people. And Christian Watson, that's all I saw. I mean. You know, he's got the 94th or higher percentile 40 speed score burst, like everything. He's 6'4", 210. Like, dude's a freak, but he's 23 years old. He didn't really do a whole lot until his senior season at a small school. Like, I completely agree. I'm, I have no interest, and I hope he gets drafted by KC or Green Bay because, you know, just like McCole Hardman went 110 the year that he got drafted and it pushed down better players, I would love to see that happen with Christian Watson. What do you think, Jacob? I mean, like, I'm just never going to have him because I'll always take James Cook over him. Okay. Like, as simple as that. It's like there's guys that are going to go after him that I'll take before him. So it's just like he's never going to be on my teams. I, I think that for our listeners, like, we don't believe in him. But realistically, if he, if he's sitting there in the late second round, you're probably not going to get a better upside play because. But he won't be. But I, I think that's the thing. And like, even I might be interested, like in a guy like that. Like we took Donovan Peoples Jones in like the mid third of his draft class, right? Like, to me, that's where Christian Watson should be going. The problem is, is that he's going to go in the top forty of the NFL draft, and then he's going to go at like two o three. I honestly, I'm not sure where where he'll go. Like I could easily see him slipping to the fourth, fifth round. Like, it, it, we, we really don't know. We don't know what NFL teams see in him. I personally, I agree with you guys. I, I don't see it. I like the athleticism. I'm not keen on drafting um, skilled players from small schools like North Dakota State. It's just like, it's a complete shot in the dark. Like, you, you have no objective measurement ability of their and 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 one one piece of advice i would give just generally like this class specifically there's a lot of really good teams with good quarterbacks at the end of the first round that probably are going to take a wide receiver so we've talked about kc and green bay maybe arizona uh maybe tennessee new england buffalo like there's a lot of options here don't fall for this trap like landing spot matters we've talked a ton about landing spot this uh, podcast because it does matter but don't take a guy like christian watson in kansas city over Traylon burks if he ends up in you know detroit right like it's just not the smart way to go about it and every year people fall for it and unless you're in a league with me and picking ahead of me don't do it <laughs> um absolutely yeah um so i think the kind of the last thing that i wanted to touch on which is a larger a larger topic um was kind of the strategy of how you see this draft specifically. Um, so I think all of us are proponents in, in different ways about tier-based drafting and the idea of, you know, uh, for Jacob, it's I need to acquire pick 108 to assure myself this player. Or, you know, for me, it's I'm agnostic between these five players, so I'm going to try to trade down to the last possible spot. Um, so I guess I guess my question, Tyler, we can start with you, is what kind of tiers do you see in this draft? And are there any areas of the draft that you're really aiming for? And then are there any areas that you're really aiming to trade out of? Um, and kind of my secondary question there, uh, and one that I've been asked probably the most, uh, just like on Twitter and by some of my friends is, you know, if I have this pick in the draft, which veteran should I target um, in this area? I think a lot of people are going to be trading out of this draft and looking for veteran talent. 
Um, so that that's kind of my, my two-part question for you. Yeah, so it, the tiers of this draft, I think, are, are pretty clear. Um, you know, I think there's an obvious tier gap after pick seven, I would say. So um, just to go through the players real quick, you got Brees Hall, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Drake London, uh, Jameson Williams, Malik Willis, and Kenneth Walker. I think those are pretty clear consensus top seven. Um, and I would agree with that top seven. For me, I have my, my top tier would be Brees Hall, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson, Drake London. And um, then after that, you have kind of like a, a 1B tier, I would say, of Jameson Williams, Malik Willis, and Kenneth Walker. Um, but then after that, I think there's a massive gap. Um, I, I would definitely be trying to move anything from like 108 to 112 and try to get into that top seven. And if that doesn't work out, you know, maybe adding something small because I think the move will be to do this after the draft when guys like um, Sky Moore get first round draft capital and everyone's like, you know, freaking out about that. Or Isaiah Spiller gets day two draft capital to the Bills. You know, everyone's hyping those up. So that makes those that 108 to like 110 look a lot better when you're trying to trade that away. When I still see that tier gap, it doesn't really matter the landing spots that much. I think just the talent tier gaps there. Um, so definitely moving into that 108, moving out, or sorry, moving into the 107 plus, moving out of 108 to 112, maybe trying to add something small to move up a couple picks, or even trying to trade those away for 23 first. I think I would rather just completely be out of that area if I could. Um, I don't want to trade back because I think the second just gets worse. I think it's yeah. even just more like once you get to like 204, you're looking at like, honestly, way upside dart throws that I doubt pan out and I would just rather move that to a second next year. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things in this draft is like, I'm probably going to be willing to overpay a little bit more than most kind of like you were saying, Tyler, like let's say you, uh, you know, you lost in the title game last year, you have your pick. So you got the one eleven and the two eleven. Um, package those for the 109 right like and then package that with a future pick for the 107 like even if it's just a little bit of a pay up like if you can get up that tier level i think that's going to be really important in this class because like you said things get really flat after that where it's like you know i got we didn't touch on george pickens but a guy like you know pickens or dotson or more or rashad white or zamir white or you know the fifth quarterback off the board um Things like that, like it's really all dart throws and we all have our preferences and some are going to be better than others. Don't give away value for nothing, but I totally agree right. that this is a class that you should just shoot for the stars. If if I'm going into a class with one first and two seconds and I can turn that into one better first, I'm just going to do it. Yeah, I agree. For me, I'm just trying to get the 1.8 every draft. Like I have eight guys I like. And if I don't need a specific position, I'll just take whoever's there at 1.8. And if I do need a specific position, I'll, I'll try and get the 1.7. And, 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 um, and who, who's the eighth guy? I assume the top seven or Tyler's top seven. The top – well, it's uh, it's Willis Hall Walker, um, Jameson, Wilson, Burks, London, and Spiller. Spiller's the eighth guy. Yeah. Um, I'm, I have – in all honesty, for the three backs, I'll never have Brees Hall because I like Kenneth Walker just as much. And I don't have Isaiah Spiller too far off of those guys. I pretty much say, like, hey, like, whoever's there, um, let the landing spots fall where they will, and that's going to determine who I like. For the four receivers, like, I may have my preferences between them, 
I do have Garrett Wilson as my safest guy with the highest upside pairing to go with that. Um, but I'm not going to overpay to get Garrett Wilson when I can chill and see who's there between London Bergson and Jameson. So um, the 1.8, I, I like sitting at that. I'm very comfortable sitting at 1.9 or 1.10 with uh, Olave and Dotson or Corral if uh, if you want to go quarterback because one of these guys are going to one of these quarterbacks are going to seep up into to that first round range. Um, but you know if you're not happy with with uh, the late first round picks, there's some pretty high upside guys that have been drafted pretty recently that are frankly disrespected. And two guys I'll highlight are uh, Rashad Bateman and Michael Pittman. Yeah. Who, who, who both of them may have just as much upside of any receiver in this class. Um, but for whatever reason, maybe it's just the, the scheme in Indy or the poor quarterback play of Carson Wentz um, in the case of Michael Pittman or Rashad Bateman, who was injured for most of the year and then played a bunch of games with Tyler Huntley. We never really have, we haven't really seen him get a fair shake. These are guys that we already have seen enough of them in the NFL to know that like they have a skill set to succeed. Um, they already have that draft capital that we like to see. They're both in opportunities or both have opportunities that you know you can you can project out good target shares for them both. Um, so if you're chilling with the late first and you don't want a lot of it. You don't want Dotson, or maybe those guys have gone, and um, you're just kind of like, "Who the hell do I take here?" Why not try and get go after one of these uh, one of these guys that have already been drafted with upside that you know people are fading. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I would throw guys like uh, Mike Evans if you wanted an older guy, uh, Brandon Ayuk, um, AJ Dillon, a guy like that. If if you're after the 108 drop and you're looking at a guy like you know Chris Olave who you like but don't love, go get a guy who you loved right. last year who looked okay. Or go get a guy like Mike Evans who's gonna be the wide receiver ten this year. Like I I definitely endorse um, moving back in instances like that or even something that I'm gonna do trade 110 and 210 for a random 2023 first because I guarantee you right. that's gonna look good at this time next year. Hey. I'm just going to say this because we have Tyler on here. I would take Jerry Judy over any receiver in this class. Wow. That 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 I don't agree with. Um, I, I respect No, me and Jacob, we, we love our Jerry Judy. And honestly, coming out of college, I would have Jerry Judy over any of these wide receivers. Um, I, I think this is a good wide receiver class, but I don't think it's great. I think these guys have wide receiver one potentials, but they all kind of have some holes there. Um, but also to, to echo Mike's point, I think there there's a lot of guys at the end of this first that I like and I don't love, and I'm I'm very willing to move those guys for guys that you know I think are depressed in value or something like that. I think the Jerry Judy Judy owner in any of your leagues probably loves him more than any of anyone else, so. Um, you know, that's that shout out Jacob. I own him and in, in most of our leagues that we have together. So I obviously love him more than you yeah. do. It's very frustrating. Yeah, and the kind of the two <laughs> other two other areas of the draft I want to touch on. Uh one of them is still the late first, early second, but it's talking about the quarterbacks. So I mean typically this is a weird quarterback draft because usually we see, you know, Three quarterbacks go in the top 10, and then maybe one goes at pick, you know, 30, something like that. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to the Lamar Jackson's draft where I think we had four guys in the top 12, and then Lamar went 32. Uh, Patriots fucking fell to him, and we didn't take him, whatever. Um, so anyways, this year, 
No one likes the quarterbacks. It looks like, you know, five quarterbacks are going to go between picks 15 and 45, something like that. Um, and there's going to be some potential franchise quarterbacks uh, that are going to be available way later than usual in these rookie drafts, right? You might get a quarterback who is the heir apparent, you know, the backup in Detroit until Jared Goff gets benched. You might be able to get that guy at pick 202. Given what we've been talking about in terms of the running backs being kind of jaggy, landing spot dependent, the wide receivers being a little hit or miss in that range, how comfortable are you taking quarterbacks there, even if they're a little bit less talented than some previous years? Uh, Tyler, let's let's start with your thoughts. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's also landing spot dependent. I think just same as these running backs, and and maybe a little bit less so landing spot, but draft capital dependent. Um, if they go in the first round, I'm interested. If they fall into the second, I'm significantly less interested. Even a guy like Matt Crowell, who I really like, if he falls into the second, I feel like it's, you know, I don't like him that much, right? And and neither does yeah. the NFL. So, um, you know, that, that definitely lowers his expectations. Maybe a guy like Kenny Pickett, I don't love him, but he goes to the in the first round to Pittsburgh. I'm like, okay, well, I don't love him, but the NFL does. And, you know, it's it's pretty hard to scout quarterbacks you know no matter how good you are even in the nfl they don't do a great job on it so you know maybe maybe he hits maybe he doesn't but you know if he does hit he's probably going to have more value than you know uh chris olave or Rashad white in the end of the first if he's sitting there um which if he gets first round draft capital i'm not sure if he will but if they fall into the second i'm not interested um again if they're in the late first um and you're in the late first of your rookie draft i'm I'm happy taking it if you can't move that pick. You know, of course, I like them, but I don't love them. So, you know, I'll take it with the value insulation and potential value boost as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's spot on. It's the value boost. Like, looking at my quarterback rankings right now, I only have 19 quarterbacks that I think with real confidence are going to be starters in 2023, looking at quarterbacks in the league right now. And there are 32 teams. So, there's a chance that, you know, a guy like Matt Corral, if he goes late round one or, you know, really any of these guy, quarterbacks that we've talked about, that they're going to be a starting quarterback heading into 2023, even with those good quarterbacks coming in in next year's class. And like you said, that's just a massive value gain, right? Like any starting quarterback at 23 years old, Daniel Jones two years ago was going in the seventh round of startups. Like, even after those ter- that terrible season, like you're just going to be able to get a value boost based on that. And there's a huge hole at quarterback this uh, in the NFL right now. We have Marcus Mariota and Mitchell Trubisky, Carson Wentz, you know, Jameis Winston, Davis Mills, even up to like Ryan Tannehill and Tom Brady who might retire again. Like there's going to be a lot of openings and someone's going to have to fill them. So why not take a shot? I'll tell you why. Because you can flip that mid-second into Baker Mayfield. Buy low Baker, man, because he's better than Sam Howell. He's better than Kenny Pickett. I, you know who I'm keeping my eye on, though? I'm keeping my eye on, on Desmond Ritter. I want to see where he goes. I'm actually pretty excited about him. To me, he's Malik Willis with a weaker arm. Uh, might be a better processor at this stage of his development. Um, but I'm interested to see if Desmond Ritter cracks the first round. And I think out of the quarterbacks that like people are fairly excited about, uh, Sam Howell, Pickett, Corral, uh, Willis, I think Ritter, if he slides into day two, goes second round, I still don't really care. Like It's the legs on him that really uh, prop up his fantasy potential. And if he gets a shot to play, 
he's going to produce for fantasy. So um, Desmond Ritter, I'm keeping an eye on. I will not touch Kenny Pickett, even if he goes six overall to Carolina. I think he's atrocious. Um, Sam Howell could get my interest if he gets a good landing spot. He's he's actually got more legs than people think. I think he had 30% of the overall rush attempts for North Carolina last year, which was like a shocking number for me. Um, having your quarterback he had like 800 yards, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's absurd. Um, which is, I think he had, was it him or Corral who had 30 rushes in one game? Uh, I don't remember. I want to say it was Corral, but I don't remember. It, it might have been, Howell had 180 rushes on the year, so it might have been Howell. Yeah, but you know, like, in all honesty, I'm going Baker over Howell, pick it, like, whatever. Howell, Howell <laughs> had between 11 to 21 rushes in every game. That's that's a lot. I mean, and I know they count sacks as rushes in college, which is dumb, but whatever. Um, anyways, speaking on Ritter, I think you're totally right on Ritter. Um, I'm super interested in him as well. Um, I think that he's probably the highest upside quarterback in this class other than Malik Willis. And to me, I think like Detroit at 32 is an ideal place really for whoever goes there, but especially a guy like like Malik, Malik Willis. Um, I think Jacob's got to go now. Uh, I got one more question for you, Tyler, if you can hang on for another few minutes. Okay. But uh, Jacob, yeah. uh, let's let's get down to business. Uh, I hope you enjoy uh, your draft-watching ceremonies tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, have fun, guys. Uh, and it was great having you on, Tyler. Cool. Um, so, yeah, Tyler, I just had one more question uh, for you. Um, obviously, you're lower on Malik Willis. It sounded like he was in your 1B tier uh and uh, I, I, I'm interested in your thoughts on Brees Hall, too, because to me it seems like they're the consensus 101 and 102, um, and I think yeah. both of those are terrible picks at 101 and 102, like thinking back to when Nikhil Harry and David Montgomery were going there. Like it's, it's just not great, and I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on the players, and if you have the 101 or 102 in a draft, are you taking them? Or like, how much of a discount are you taking on a trade out? Are you are there any vets you're specifically trying to target with trading out? Yeah. So at 101, if I were to trade out, I would definitely my number one target would just be trade back, maybe you know three four picks, just get one of the wide receivers because I like all three wide receivers over Brees Hall and Malik Willis. Um, I even have James Williams over Malik Willis. Willis. Um, I don't, I don't like Willis, honestly. Like I watched him, and he's just purely not a good player. Yeah. Um. You know, he's he's athletic. He's got the rushing ability, but like as a true quarterback, he is inconsistent at best. Um, yeah. inconsistent at um, reading the field, inconsistent with his ball placement, um, and just decision making. I, I remember specifically, I can't remember what game it was, but watching him. He had a his running back wide open for a check down with 20 yards of cushion, but instead he throws a triple coverage down the field. Um, it was, I think it was like third and five or something like that. I'm, I, it blew my mind, and it, things like that would happen consistently, and it just was infuriating there to was, watch. There was one stretch of watching Malik Willis. I think it was against like – I want to say Mercer or some random school like that, um, right. where literally three plays in a row, I did not know who he was targeting just because it was like in between two defenders, like honestly just throwing it at weird cadence when he was playing against zone defense. Mm -hmm. Like there are holes in the zone and there's like a rhythm of when your receiver is going to get there. And it seemed like his timing was just off. It was, I agree. Yeah. He just, 
as good as his floor is going to be for fantasy due to rushing, to right. me, I just don't want to draft a player that I don't think is going to be a starter in three years. And, like, look, Trey Lance is now being drafted as a top 15 pick, like, in startups. So, like, from a value perspective, I get the Willis pick. And I will end up with some Willis on my team just for that factor. But right. I, I agree with you as far as evaluating the player. Yeah, and, you know, I, I get the argument, too, value insulation. First-round quarterbacks always retain value really well. You know, we saw Lance not play at all, you know, or one game, and he's still top 15, you know, startup pick. And then you still got Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson all had, you know, depressed seasons, um, and, and they're still going at least in the second round of drafts. Um, but with Willis, too, you know, I, I think that this is all speculation, just something I've kind of thought about recently, too, is that I think this – um, NFL GMs and teams, they know this is a weak quarterback class. And I think they're going to be more willing than they would, say, from a Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence to move on next year. If they're in a position to take Bryce Young, CJ Shroud, I don't think a lot of them hesitate. Yeah. You know, we saw it with Josh Rosen. Um, you know, I think we could see something very similar if Malik Willis comes out and he's super inconsistent like he was in college and just does not look good. Um, even if he has a comparable season to like a Zach Wilson or Justin Fields, I wouldn't be surprised if they move on. I completely agree. Like pedigree matters. Sunk cost matters like mm-hmm. to these GMs. I mean, I look at what Jalen Hurts did last year to me, like I would be thrilled if Malik Willis did that in his second season. Absolutely. And I'm pretty sure you'll be able to trade the 102 for Jalen Hurts on draft day. Like, Malik Willis is going to be valued. I wonder where he's valued at right now. Actually, I'll check that out. But he's going to be valued if he's drafted in the top 15 as a top, you know, 12-ish quarterback. Right now, he's being valued at QB 18 below Mac Jones, Derek Carr, Aaron Rodgers, and Jalen Hurts. If he's drafted in the top 15, that's not going to last, right? Smart fantasy people. Especially top 10 or top five as well yeah a hundred percent and like you know how thirsty these nfl teams are for quarterbacks someone might trade up so i i agree with malik willis i think there's an easy transition down to a lower tier quarterback and get something else if i can get you know a Derek Carr, mac jones plus something or if i can get jalen hurts or you know Tua plus something i'm gonna do that for sure um and that brings oh, me to Brees hall who who i think i feel similarly to you about I think Brees Hall is a good player. Like I think, I think given this draft where he's you know probably the best running back in this draft, I I actually do have Walker higher as well. But like I completely get it with Brees Hall being a third down back. I think he'll probably get a full work uh, bell cow load. Like I get that. I just don't think he's going to be a player that's good enough to get a locked-in big second contract. I don't think he's going to be a good enough player to prevent a team from signing a second guy. Um, so to me, you know, if you if I'm paying RB5 prices for a guy who I think is an RB15 talent, like do I think he's more talented than Dobbins or Josh Jacobs or Nick Chubb? Like no. So I I get it that he's yeah. younger and I get it that he's got a good role. So I know that value, but to me I'm going to be trading him for Javante Williams. I ran a poll yesterday, it was basically 50-50. I'm going to be trading him for Christian McCaffrey. I'm going to be trading him for, you know, DK Metcalf or AJ Brown or one of these big receivers like I'm getting out of the Brees Hall business. I I'm probably not going to own a single share at the 101. I'll I'll draft him in a few and yeah. flip him in August, but I I'm not interested in him. Yeah, that's what if you're sitting at 101, I think you you sell it for, you know, as much as you can. 
right? I think you can get a huge return on it. And if not, I mean, take Brees Hall because I think he's going to be the bell cow wherever he goes, and he's going to sit there in August, and everyone's going to be like, oh, I really wish I had Brees Hall. And then you sell him then. You know, I, I think it's – regardless, you're going to get a haul from him, but at the same time, I don't really want him on my roster. I think at this point, we're just so starved for, like, top-end running back talent in the NFL, like dynasty t- talent that's not super old. You have JT, obviously, as the RV one and then after that, uh, you know, they're swift. I, he has question marks. <laughs> you got Saquon, um, question marks, and you got um, – you know, Najee Harris, who's older with question mark. You know, everyone after that has has legitimate concerns on their profile. You know, they're all young, they're they're good, and I believe in a lot of them. But I am also at the same breath not paying the prices on those players. You know, in Dynasty today, just because you know they all do have those question marks. I don't think they're RB two. You know, three four years ago, they are now just because there's not really much there. And I feel kind of the same way with Brees Hall that everyone's like, well. You know, he could be RB2, and yeah, he could, but, you know, after 2023 class, he's going to be RB, like, 8, 9, 10, Yeah, right? and, and that's exactly the point. Like, these – I understand that wide receiver is deep, and, and I'm not saying to take a guy like any of these wide receivers straight up over Brees Hall because that's just a bad value proposition, but you look at what ha- what's happened to the running backs over the last, you know – really season and a half, two seasons. J.K. Dobbins last year was a third-round startup pick. Now he's a late fifth-round startup pick, and he has not moved in the position ranks, right? All of these running backs are just moving down, and you got guys like Devontae Smith and Deontay Johnson and Debo Samuel and T. Higgins just leaping. They all went in the fifth round last year. Debo was obviously like 10th, but they're leaping all of these running backs, and the running backs are falling back. So it's making people thirsty for Brees Hall, but when you look at a guy like yeah. Bruce Hall, if I can get a wide receiver who I think is a stud, I'm going to do that. If I can downgrade to a guy like J.K. Dobbins, who I think is just as good of a player, and pick up a first-round pick, which I think you're going to be able to do, to me that's just a no-brainer. So I, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. Take Brees Hall if you have to, if you're on the clock and you're not getting a good offer. But I would not carry right. him too long into the season. To me, it's like a Najee Harris issue where he might be a talented player. He's going to get a lot of work. That is certainly valuable. I'm not discounting that, but it's just not the talent of a guy that I want to own as a top 20 dynasty asset long-term. Yeah. And I do like Brees Hall. I think he, he does have the tools. He's, you know, he's got the athleticism. I think he's a good running back, but you know, I, I don't think he's a generational talent. He's not CMC. He's not Jonathan Taylor or anything like that. Um, so, you know, I, I think he's another guy in this class that has, you know, and maybe not a two, three year window, maybe three, four year window, but, um, yeah, I, I would love to cash in. I think he's probably going to be like in startups, probably second round or something like that. I would love to pivot to pretty much anyone else in the second round. there. Yeah. Absolutely. Like you'll be able to get, if it's not McCaffrey, like pay the extra second round pick and get yourself Kyle Pitts or. AJ Brown or Dak Prescott, mm-hmm. like whoever it may be, right. he's just going to be totally mispriced. And to me, like pay up and get Jonathan Taylor. Like I think the more I think about running back where the second and third ranked running backs, Javante and Swift might be in timeshares and we've never seen him do it. Next, you got Brees Hall. We've never right. seen him do it. CMC, I think is undervalued, but coming off injuries, like all this hole at running back 
it makes Jonathan Taylor like that much more valuable because he is the only locked in bona fide stud of his age group right now. Obviously, we have a few more coming in next season that we hope get there and, you know, uh, Bijan and, you know, Henderson later, those guys. But um, I think that to me, Jonathan Taylor is a guy that I'm willing to pay a little bit more for than I typically would in terms of buying a guy at his ceiling. Yeah, and then also, you know, if you're if you're not in a spot to contend as well, selling Brees Hall for for those twenty three picks, I think that class is going to be absolutely loaded. I know where you're out, and I know everyone's talking about it, but like, I think it's more loaded than you think. Yeah. Even though with all this hype, like, you know, I was just looking through like the first round, and I'm like, wow, I think I would take almost every person in that first round over almost every person in this first round. I saw it's. it's pretty insane yeah i was watching kenny pickett film and as i said earlier in the pod i'm not a big college football guy so i never heard of uh addison um number, oh, number three on on pit dude is unbelievable like i was just watching kenny pickett film so i wasn't like watching addison like purely for him but i mean i like him as much as any wide receiver i've scouted in this class and then i look at a mock draft and he's going at like 112 in next year's class it's insane yeah. Uh, yeah, and I, I've looked at that class too, and he's sitting at my 111 right now, and he is incredible, and I think I would have him over almost any of these wide receivers. Of course, I haven't, you know, dug deep into him, but just from what I've seen so far, like, I mean, this this 2023 class is going to be special, so I'm, I would love to move Brees Hall for a 23-1 plus. And, and, and I think you might be able to get two 23-1s, or you might be able to get a 23-1 yeah. and you know, one of the uh, Rashad Bateman players that we were talking about before, or, you know, what, what I would try to do, find a team that thinks they're a contender that was a contender last year that has an old team that you think doesn't have depth, is going to fall off a cliff, go trade your 101 for their 110 and 23 first, right? You walk away from right. this draft with, you know, Jamison Williams, or you trade that pick out for Rashad Bateman and you get a 23 first, like... To me, that's a no-brainer, and I, I'm going to be doing – I have over 150 first-round picks in my drafts right now. I will probably take – I know I'll take less than 100, and it might be even less than that. It's I'm going to be trading out aggressively. Yeah. Absolutely, and honestly, right now, too, it's – the 23 class is just going to get more hyped, right? It's, it's a year out now. As soon as we get the season, we're six months out or, you know, nine months out. It's just going to get more and more expensive. Get them now. I know it's hyped up, but and they're expensive, but, I mean – if you're not competing right now, 2023 is a class that you can build a team from. Yep, I mean, and and similar uh, similar to the to the 2020 class, and I, I would say 24 firsts are also super undervalued right now. That's another yeah. thing that I'm really trying to trade. Um, if I if I have a late first in this class, I mean, I've traded a few early seconds in this class straight up for 24 firsts. To me, that's just a no brainer, oh, wow. right? It's you get all of the upside, yeah. none of the downside. Um, and 24 is yeah. supposed to be a good class too. Um, yeah. And you get an asset that's not going to depreciate, you know, right now where everyone's, oh, we're two years out from 2024, but as soon as August and September hits, oh, we're only one year out from 2024, you know, all of a sudden that, that price pretty much doubles. So, um, and, I'm and, all and about there's that. A lot, and there's a lot to be said for the liquidity of picks, right? Like if, if someone drafts, uh, uh, Jamison Williams, who, who I'm not high on, or George Pickens, who we're both not high on, in the late first, 
and they're trying to make a trade with me, I'm going to be like, I don't want Jamison Williams. I don't like him. I don't value him like like the market does. But if you have a 23 first or 24 first, everyone wants that because that's such a liquid asset. You can flip that to anyone, right? Every team in the league probably wants that. So there's a lot of benefits to having picks. Um, all right, as Absolutely. we uh, wind up to you know 100 minutes of recording time here, I think we should uh, probably wrap up, uh, give some give some time for people to actually listen to this podcast before the draft. Um, so uh, yeah, Tyler, you want to uh, just tell us one more time where we can find you on uh, on Twitter and the various websites that you're running for? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Twitter at Tyler underscore FF underscore. Um, of course, all the rookie breakdowns coming out. Um, I got a couple more coming out this week, and I'll wrap up a few more throughout the rest of the off season. Um, also, King Fantasy Sports, check out their draft kit. Of course, all the stuff that I'm doing on Twitter, and then plus, I'm going to be updating landing spots there. And all those articles are always updating just with latest news and stuff like that. So definitely check that out. Yeah, for sure. And and once again, I wanna I wanna say to, that if if you got an hour to kill, go and check out. Tyler has pinned a thread of all of his threads of the uh, video analysis of the players, uh, especially as you get to these third round of drafts where you know you might not know about a certain guy that was picked in the fourth round. Go check out. You can get a really quick idea of uh, what type of player he is and whether or not you might like him. Um, so yeah, with that, as always, uh, I am a Dynasty Zoltan. Uh, and uh, thank you all for listening to the Trading Table podcast. I hope you all enjoy your NFL draft ceremonies, and uh, we'll be back with you soon. Let's get down to business.